Thanks as always for listening. In today's episode, Chris and I talk about the difference in planning and work that a GM and to an extent players need to put in for one-offs, what we call adventures, and then campaigns. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. We're here today with another episode, and as we always do, let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to, aside from frustrations over sports that we just talked about, and and I shared my frustrations over my sports, but we won't bore listeners with our frustrations over our sports. Uh, What's your last week in gaming looked like? I was going to say, we could do a whole episode whinging about sports and other things. But I can bitch be about the Seahawks <laughs> and you can complain. Oh, yeah, well, maybe we should. Maybe we, maybe we should. We're, not right. today. we're just going to take a, a one-off episode where we're going to complain about sport. That would, and yeah. our, our, our listening figures a week. Maybe it'll be our best ever episode. We'll have to change the whole. It wouldn't really work. We'd both be just talking about our own sports and have very little overlap. Um, this week, I say maybe three days or so since last recorded, uh, I played... I played a second session of our Curse of Strad. Oh, yeah, uh, how did that go? Game. Um, it went all right. We didn't get through as much. I think the first time, it, it shows the difference that happens when there's combat or like when the players don't really know what they're doing. So the first thing, it was very straightforward. Like, like, like sort of did everything in the village and they met the Vistani and blah, blah, blah. And we got to another. I was like, oh, we seem to have crammed a lot in. And then this time it was like, sort of they talked to a few people, randomly went. The, the not the way they said they were going you know, to do like, oh, we're going to go this way, went a different way, bumped into someone that meant they had to go to another area that was actually a bunch of good talking to people and then decided to go to this this particular encounter, which was like looking on paper. And I was like, there is no way they're going to do this on paper. Um, but they did, but it was a proper slog of, of combat. Have you, uh, as a party, made it to the little town, that first town yet? Yeah, yeah we, we like literally that we we went through the whole first town in the first session so they're in like the okay. second town i like the second town there's like a lot more going on and there's like different people to meet there um you didn't, you didn't go through the creepy the death house with the creepy dead kids no i just started them at level three and just skipped out oh okay yeah yeah i just i i can't bother play level ones and two and just it's so easy to just like tpk a party in D D if you yeah. can play at level one all you need is some spike rolls and the, the whole party's dead and they haven't got any decent spells. So starting at level three, you know, it works fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to get into the main bones of it. That almost seems like it makes more sense, actually. If, if Strahd is this, like, sicko puppet master who periodically draws hapless adventurers into his realm to toy with them before he squishes them, what's fun? What, what, why would Strahd want to pull in, like, losers? You know, like, hey, let's let's get the Scooby gang in here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like why would he pull in low level adversaries? That would seem that, that seems boring. Yeah. So I think I ha- your third level start makes more sense. Yeah. I had them meet Strahd in the very first thing because I was like, right, I want them to. I, I, I'd seen the thing like they should meet him multiple times. And so I had them meet him in the very first session. I think the first thing he did was that he wanted they, they were protecting some woman that they, he wanted. Mm-hmm, and of course, yeah. he says, right, let her out. And they're like, we're not going to let her out. So he just like charmed one of them straight up and like the guys he had to then go and bring this woman out until I can't remember what he did. I think they used calm emotions, which stopped the charm momentarily. So mm. uh, it was quite a good use of that. But yeah, it was kind of they were like, oh no, we're we're properly screwed here. And it's like, yes, yes, you are. You can't can't say no to Strad and you can't fight him at your level. You're just gonna have to uh um but yeah, they managed to they managed to lock that one out. But yeah, that was cool. that was like two weeks ago. Now. How about you? Oh, well, we were going to play uh, the beginnings of um, op- Operation Falling Crystal. Falling okay. or Fallen? Anyway, it's one of the, the pre-written adventures for Octum Cthulhu. It takes place in Scotland. And we were down one player, and so I scrambled, and I ran. I had never run for this group the, um, the adventure in the back of the Star Trek Adventures core book, where, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, you know, it's... You're on a shuttle or a runabout yeah. and you get a distress signal and you go to a planet and the people are devolving into like Neanderthals and you have to save them. And so what I did was I placed, I just had the my, my players bring their Star Trek characters and I had this happen while they were in a runabout on the way to Starbase 364 Narendra Station where the Shackleton Expanse campaign is uh is seated. And that's where we were going to pick up. Eventually when we go back to Star Trek Adventures, the plan is that 
these four officers will be there and assigned to a new ship and and drop right into it. So that that went really well, and it was um, it was neat too to have them come back to their characters after about three months, a little over three months since we've played that. And they, they picked right back up. They had made some modifications and things and um, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. So today though, we're going to talk, I mean, actually you mentioned adventures and you know, in, in effect, I actually, I don't think the adventure, the, the session that I ran was qualifies as, as one of these, but we're going to talk about the difference in, GM and to an extent, I think player prep and expectations from what we'll call a one-off, an adventure, or a campaign. You're laughing. You you said player prep. The idea well, no, that I, the idea that players do prep. Well, okay, some of them do, and we'll get to like what do I mean by that? Some of them do, and that can be yeah. a good thing or it can be a thing. Um, but the the I think for a GM, it's important to have in the back or maybe in the, the forefront of your thinking, when you are planning to run a session to consider what kind of session that is before you dump time into it, there's a yeah. certain level of detail that you need that is not needed in some and surprisingly might need another, might be needed in others. So what we wanted to talk about was just our ideas about that. Um, and so I want to nail down and, and we can, we can argue over this. That'd be great. But, um, so the, the terms that I'm using, I mean, a session is you get together either in person or online, you play for some block of time, two, three, four, five hours. That's a session. Yeah. But we're talking about either a one-off, which is a, a single session story, an adventure, which would be a multi-session but limited story, maybe a couple of sessions at most. Yeah. And then a campaign, which is either an intentionally long-term story with many, many sessions or an open-ended one that could take months or years. And I, and I think the, the difference between adventure, in my thinking, and campaign is that an adventure, the GM probably already has a clear end in sight, and you're not talking about that many sessions. Yeah. Whereas a campaign either could be deliberately planned to be long-term with an end in sight, but we're talking months or even years, or it, it could be open-ended. What do you think about those those terms? Oh, yeah, no, they totally make sense to me because that's literally how I'll... I mean, like I said, we kind of had this discussion in the past. I don't really write my own stuff anymore. But even then, like, that's not true because, like I said, I ran a... Literally, I ran a one-off at Christmas, which was intended to be a one-off. It was not yep. meant to be any more than that. Um and in the back of my mind, I've got things I want to run, which would be campaigns because they would be more open-ended. And then like an adventure, I think it's the adventure is the one I'd, I'd find it. But again, I, I, I would consider the adventure to be exactly what you said. It's something that isn't going to be just a one-off and maybe I'll run an adventure and then I'm going to do another adventure. And that might end up being in a campaign. But mm -hmm. yeah, a campaign, if you're, you know, there's a very different, you could have a campaign full of adventures. Yes. Um, but that would be, again, you probably, you'd approach that slightly differently because you'd either approach that from the view of I'm doing a campaign or you'd evoke that, go to that from the view of I'm doing an adventure, which then the people go, Oh, let's do another one. And so you play with the same character, you do another, and then it becomes, a, that's again, that's yes. still different. So yeah, I, I, those make sense to me, those three. Okay. What we're going to start. Yeah, and I with. think when, where do you, where do you want to start? Actually, do you want to start with the campaign or do you want to start with the one-off? Cause it seems odd to start with an adventure. Yeah. We need to start on one end of the other. Um, let's, uh, I don't know. Either one of those is fine because that's the two ways I would, I've approached it or thought about it recently. Yeah. So well, let's, let's go small. Let's talk okay. about a one-off then. Um, and as we're defining that is it is a single session story. So whether your session is two hours, four hours, some kind of caffeine fueled overnight thing or something like that, it's, you're going to sit down and you're going to play one story out in one session. I think probably the most common one-off out there is your convention game. So what do you think are, in terms of the GM approaching that, and because, you know, you don't want to overplan. Yeah. Underplanning sucks. You know, if you're, if you're really creative and you're able to pivot, um, you know, you can, you can do well, especially in a short session like that. But, um, but overplanning is a ridiculous waste of time. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think are, what do you think maybe is like the, the, the main thing someone should keep in mind thing or two that they should, you should plan for if you're going to run a one-off the intention is 
Yeah, this is this is it. The whole story is there. Single episode series. I think one of the big differences between a one-off and all of the other ones, and if you didn't do this, I'd find it surprising, is that in a one-off, almost always you will use, well, you will bring characters with you. Yeah. And that's a massive difference. So like, you know, if I'm doing it, if you're doing an adventure, we're going to, oh, we're going to, I've got this adventure. We're going to do a couple of sessions of it. Most people will make their characters, but whether because yeah. it's a convention and therefore you have to, you're not going to spend an hour of the convention making characters. So whether because you're going to like a convention type, type thing, you're taking the adventure with you, uh, you need to take characters that are already made or because you're doing your own one-off, it still makes sense to have the characters pre-created because then the characters already you can have, you've already decided the relationship between the characters. You've decided the relationship between the characters and NPCs. Um, it means you can set things up much more easily. So rather than having to do the kind of the normal, D, D, you know, the normal GM thing of, right, this is the characters I've got. How do I link this into what I want to do? Right from the start, you can have those connections there. Um, I mean, of course, those connections maybe aren't as important because you're not going to have, you're not going to have like, you know, a huge chunk of backstory and exposition, all these kind of things coming out. but you want something that's going to be in the story for each individual character, which means yes. those characters. I mean, I think that's one of the main things. You're going to have to pre-write the character. And that's the one thing the prep is going to be big. Even if you do your adventure is a bunch of bullet points on a sheet, which mine was last time. I pre, you know, I and all the things I did. Like so when I went for that kind of period, I was like, right, we're just going to run a bunch of different sessions. I did that. I sent like a series of one-offs. And every time most of them were using the like a quick start of the game. But even the ones where I made my own little world or whatever, I pre-created all my characters, all yeah. with pre-created the characters. Yeah, I agree completely. It's it's uh, especially if it's a convention or if it, if the game, if you're presenting it to your your friends, your players, whatever, and it's new to them. Yeah. Your pre-generated characters are, are essential. Otherwise, you're going to waste time. The other thing, too, that I think is really important that goes along with that is, you know, you said you you already create the connections between the characters okay you're a special operations team okay you're you're all in the same elevator together when it gets stuck in the <laughs> office building whatever you know you create that so that there isn't wasted time as people ponder why they're going to trust the other people or work with the other people the other thing i think that is essential with this is that when you make those characters you have to make sure mechanically that they are appropriate for or maybe even optimized for the story challenges that you're going to put in front of them i've seen this in i've seen this in some quick starts where you get the characters and you get this kind of like <laughs> united this bizarro united nations array of characters that seem to have nothing to do with one another and one or two of them mechanically don't fit in the story yeah. and you're like wow that player just got a lemon of a character because <laughs> he or she can't can't do it. this is a combat heavy encounter and you have like the you know the the, the character who has nothing like that so you got to make sure that they they fit together but that they fit for the story because your focus is going to be on getting that story going very quickly and not wasting time i think too that when it comes to gm prep and you you alluded to this some with your mention of player um, backstory when it comes to world backstory, you can ignore it. Yeah. I mean, you can hand wave it. If you're running a fantasy one-off, just say, okay, this is like a high fantasy, you know, feudal castles, flying castles, crap like that world. Boom. You forget about it. It's like this adventure, this story, rather not adventure, this story, this session is going to take place in one set of rooms within a building. And the rest of the building doesn't matter. You're in one store at the mall or one mall. You don't care about anything outside of that. And so whether it's a homebrew world or it's something that's really well known like Forgotten Realms, there's just no point in creating backstory that sits outside of the immediate story because if you include it during the session, you're just going to gobble up session time. Yeah. And you may actually end up distracting your players from the plot that you have created. So big expansive world spanning backstory is pointless yeah um and your comment about wait player prep this is where player prep that is the the multi-page detailed backstory is not only not a it's not necessary it's not needed it's not wanted i think as, as the gm is going to want to write some stuff for the players but the players are turning up to you know, the, the, you know like yeah they're going to turn up and they have they're going to have fun 
I think with that in mind, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff kind of in your So things like the things you've done for 2D20, like you said, you have like a, like a cheat sheet that says, here's the main things of your actions and, you know, like a two-sided sheet, you know, here's, here's what you do out of combat, here's what you do in combat, something like that, something you can easily give, you know, a very super simplified abridged version of the rules, um, you know, assuming that the players don't already know the rules. That's the kind of useful thing, which again is, you know, so you know, one-offs actually bizarrely probably have more prep in some ways than other things because yeah. you need to, I've got to create all these characters and then you've got to write, you know, the, the story that's going to happen. Um, when it comes to doing that, I think actually, like you kind of said, you probably need a lot less detail. You don't need to have loads of hooks that are setting thing up for later. And in some ways you kind right. of think, I mean, I'd, I'd think of a one shot more like a film, you know, go, go with the classic, you know, beginning, middle, end thing. Have something happen at the start, whether it's an in-media res thing or it's the bad guys happening and then the, the player, you know, you get straight to it. You probably don't want to start with, oh, your players are sitting around in a tavern and a guy comes. Start with them in a in a gunfight or they're escaping from a dragon or a prison or whatever. Start start with something already happening so the players have to react and then straight away you're going. Um, that's, you know, that's probably a good thing. And then you can just kind of go for I literally start with mine when I did my acting Cthulhu one at Christmas, I did start with a briefing, but I kind of went like, right, here's the briefing. And then the next thing that we've been dropped out of a plane, they didn't have time to, oh, what we're going to do, what's our plan? It was like, you're getting dropped out. You're like, hey, you've had your briefing, you're getting dropped out of the plane. Um, you know, things like that. Just You, you want to get straight to the, the good stuff happening. And on terms of that, what you do, go, go for the big set pieces. If some of the players die, then, then they die. I mean, it's not the it's not the end of the world. It's a one shot. Ideally, have a backup character to throw to someone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you want you want you want big set pieces, big memorable set pieces. Don't start the characters at level one or whatever the equivalent of level one is. Right. You don't need to. That character's getting played once, and if, even a, you don't even need to stick to the rules of you know balance. Like you said, it's about having characters that are interesting. So make sure every character can do cool stuff. Maybe that means some characters are technically on paper don't match the rules. It's a one-off. It doesn't matter. Yeah. These aren't long-term things where it's going to start becoming evident that one character is using more XP than another character. Um, you know, it's about, should be about having fun and people enjoying the system. And, you know, if they like the story, cool. But I think the other thing too, and you, you, you push me in this direction thinking wise that um, when it comes to the rules, obviously if you're running a one-off and you have people who have never played the game before, you need to focus on the most core mechanic and systems and, and probably ignore the other ones. Now, if you are playing like last, you know, just two nights ago, I played, I ran this Star Trek Adventures game with my Star Trek Adventures players. So they're familiar with, they were a little, they were a touch rusty on a few things, but I mean, within, you know, a couple minutes they were, they were going again. What I would still do in a one-off planning wise is I would pick if there are things like subsystems, especially within a game, like, you know, Star Trek Adventures has the scientific method that we talked about recently. I would pick like one, maybe two most interesting subsystems for that story and spotlight yeah. them. Yeah. And I would ignore a bunch of the rest of the stuff. A one-off has to be lean and focused in order to be fast and exciting. So no ship combat in Star Trek, unfortunately. You know, actually, I would do ship combat if my players were really familiar with it. If my players yeah. oh, were, yeah. were, were keen on it and, and could do it well, that could be really exciting. But the, the, the opposite, I think, is true also. I think you could potentially turn someone off to a game yeah. like that if it turns into this, like, slog. Because, because people don't understand the, the way the system works. So keep it lean. I think if I was going to want to do like, say, right, you know, people expect a ship combat in Star Trek. I really want a ship yeah. combat. How can I do it? Then do what I said earlier. Start the in-media res where actually they're already in the ship combat and literally maybe the, the enemy ship's got one or two hits left. Mm -hmm. And so that way they feel like they got to do the ship combat. Good point. But then they, you don't have to worry about all the rules. Literally, you know, like you can have one round of, right, what's the commander doing? Uh, oh, my God. Uh, I, I, I command to shoot all right, right shooty guy you roll your shoot you know the other guy makes a pilot and roll you've destroyed the enemy ship everybody's really happy um you know then you great you did the you started with your you, you did your starship combat but you didn't spend 10 turns which took three right. hours of the convention game playing a ship combat but you still yeah. feel like you did it you know so there's you know there's ways 
about doing that. I'm like, yeah, if I if I was doing a one-off for Infinity, I would not do the hacking rules. Um, because... No, no, there there are things that you you stay away from. I mean, yeah. and you got to be you have to be clear on that. Um, something else too on the GM side is I would be forgiving when it comes to um, call it like Wazoo player creativity. Yeah, totally. If it's cool. It, uh, to, I'm going to steal a powered by the apocalypse term that I hate. If it's awesome, uh, if it's awesome, let them do it. You know, I mean, if if people are having fun, you can you can stomach tropes and stereotypes and over the top stuff because it, it works for that short period of time. If that stuff goes on for months on end, it, it drives people crazy. Yeah. If your characters are a, a guy with mirror shades and a long trench coat and a katana and his best mate's an elf with, you know, two swords and a panther sidekick. That's okay in a one shot. All right, so let's move on to, or do you have anything else? Do you have any, any other thoughts on the GM prep? And I real quick just want to close up with some thoughts for players on top of what I already said. Uh, no, I can't think of anything else for a one shot in terms of GM. I think the fact that I imagine people would probably think that a one shot might have less prep, but actually because of the extra work you're going to do in terms of like, you're going to have to make everybody's characters. And you're probably not making low level characters. Well, you can do, but then what's the point? You know, like doing a one shot is the one time you go, hell, I'm creating level 20 D&D characters and they're going to fight a commitment. And they're going to fight a Tarrasque or, you know, the big thing, the stuff that you never, you know, it's in the Monster Man. You're like, ooh, look at that. That's yeah. exciting. You never use it. Your players never get to that level. Um, so being able to throw stuff at them that you, otherwise you would never ever see. I mean, I imagine that combat just takes like forever. But, That's all you do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here's our session for the convention. There's four of you and you're fighting the Tarrasque or some demon or something. Um, yeah, I, probably I, not I, a the, good the, idea. The suggestion that I would give or I, I would give to players is to be in a one-off, to be accepting of a higher degree of railroading. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and on, on the one hand, you know, be creative, be awesome. But on the other hand, don't be that player who's like, well, I'm going to go over here because it's because it says right here on my character sheet that I'm very inquisitive. So I'm going to be all go. It's like, no, you're being a pain in the ass. Yeah. You are slowing this game down because you want to go over there and like have this like weird, pedantic, legalistic approach to your character. That's just like uh, that, that, that gobbles up time like you. I think in a lot of ways with a one off, you have to choose to put aside your your muse to an extent to really be a good team player and accept, okay, the there's going to be a, 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 you know, the rails on this thing are tighter. And I, and in order for us to get to the cool big thing that I hope this GM has planned for us, we need to, we need to give up a little bit of our agency over the direction of the story, not necessarily how I deal with things, but like where I go with it. And you have to be accepting of that. Yeah, well, stick, Don't be a pain. Stick the rails analogy. Say, a one shot should be a roller coaster. It's going to have, you know, some really big high points. I love and it. It's going to come down. It's going to go up and it's going to be awesome. But you're on rails. You are going and, one and, way and it will end. And you have that thing over your shoulders down so you don't go flying off yeah. the darn thing. So oh, I love that. A one shot should be, it's not railroading. It should be a roller coaster. You're a genius. Thank you. I love um, that. But yeah, it's it, it's going to be on rails. You can't have play. The minute players start going off and wanting to do their own thing, um, you're not going to finish on time. So Ooh. stick stick to the, you know, keep your safety bars on. Don't go being the dick who tries to get out and follow the instructions. Yes. All right. Let's move to an adventure. An adventure being a multi-session but still limited story. I I, I mean, there are plenty of examples of this. The, the Octone Cthulhu... Um, uh, published adventures from Modiphius. I would I would describe most of those as adventures because yeah. most of them take more than a session yeah. to complete. In, in the 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 mists of time of the 1980s, if you picked up like the Slave Lords um, D and D module series, there were four of those that that connected yeah. to one another over a period of levels. I would call I would call each of those an adventure. Well, it's like, yeah, I mean, you just said it, the word module. We didn't even call them adventures. We refer to call them as modules. modules because that's yeah. what they were. They were modules, but then other people just- And they always took more than one night. Yeah. You know, we started using this term ad adventure. Um, I mean, I've seen more things where you have, you know, sort of connected adventures. I think the main difference you've got between an adventure and a one-shot is a one-shot is meant to be a one and done. At the end yes. of that, you do not carry on. 
if you really, I mean, I can, the end of that, se- the end of that session yeah. is done. I mean, I can think of one, I, I don't think it was, it probably was an adventure and I should have said it was a one shot, but we, we used something from the new Warhammer Age of Sigma role-playing game. And I think it was from the starter set. And I may have taken it from like one thing from the starter set and one from another adventure. Um, but at the end of that, I, I hated those characters. I hated the characters that had been given and that Brian and Scott used. And they, cause they was pre-generated characters. I hated them so much. I didn't want to carry on. And even when I've said, right, right, let's, should we, you know, I've got a bunch of adventures we can play. All right, cool. So we can use the same character. No, no. Right. And that's the difference. A one shot should be, you know, you've got these silly characters there, you know, they're probably all tropes. They got really, but they're really easy to role play and people can get, oh, I know this character. I, you know, I, you read the back description on the back thing. Oh, I know how to play this character. And they're a one-off and that's it. And if yeah. they die, they die. And if they live, we don't care. It doesn't really, you know, the story is the important thing. Everyone having fun. And then that's it. The difference, one of the big differences then in an adventure is that adventure could continue. The adventure should have an end point, but possibly there are, there are little nuggets of information which hint at, like you said, the wider world. You, you said the yeah. one shot should be there is no information outside the bits you need. On the adventure, there probably is. Sentence. You're going to be in a world where there is stuff outside it. And if the players, the players can go off the rails and go and do their own thing a bit, because the adventure probably has multiple, you know, multiple paths to the end. Ideally, there'd still be an end. Um, but, you know, the, the, therefore, your players are going to do different things. So the prep for this obviously is quite different, because one thing yeah. I wouldn't expect to make the characters for this. I would expect the players to, or maybe, you, you know, you sit around and you do it together. So you say next week we are going to be playing this like you did. The, we're going to play an acting Cthulhu adventure. It might take a couple of sessions. The players then sit around together and they come up with their, their characters. Um, but you probably do I think that together. In, I think it's important. I, I, I like group character generation. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that a lot um, because I think, I mean, in the worst instances, it becomes an exercise in cooperative optimization. Yeah. where you make sure you cover all the perceived bases. Forget about that. In the best of ways, it becomes a, an exercise in, in cooperative inspiration. As people come up with interesting things and, and they start thinking about ideas and ways that their characters are connected or directly or indirectly. But yeah, uh, for, for an adventure, you want to have players make their own characters. And also, I think it's important for an adventure that the GM... I mean, obviously, you want to have your players on board. Hey, do we want to play an adventure that, you know, takes place in a haunted castle or in a haunted realm, much like Barovia? You get, you get your players the buy-in, and then you've got to give them some meta information so they have some idea when they're making their characters so that they, they fit. I think that's really important. But the, the other thing that you said about, you know, there, there is... There, there should be an appreciation for the wider world, but there still need to be limits. Yeah. Because the, the focus is on the plot that the GM has created to move them through to the end of this, this story arc. There should be some kind of indication that these things maybe matter, like on a, on a local or regional scale, maybe just to give players a sense of like, you know, buy into the story, like, hey, this, this is important stuff that we're involved in, or our characters are involved in. But I still don't believe at this point that you need, like if you're doing a homebrew world, you don't need to map out the whole continent. No, just the local area. You don't, I mean, if, if you want to, obviously, but you just don't need to. And if you do, I actually think that dumping that on your players as backstory like the gm who creates his or her own his or her own like like you have this love story of a of a homebrew world that you create but you're only going to run like a five or six session adventure in some small region and you expect your players to read like a 20 page white paper on the background of the world and its geology and its geopolitics like that's just going to cloud their vision yeah. it's not worth it yeah i'm gonna give you a perfect example of that so like obviously i me and Brian have been playing this like this sort of GMless D and D game, and yeah. we're five sessions in now. Now, so we've created a map as we've gone through, but in that five sessions of the map, we have like a village, some wilderness, a city that we didn't go to other than use to get to another city, which we then did sort of three sessions in the same place, and then we took another. We went to some temple which was near another city. Our map literally consists of four named towns and villages, and one country still. And that's five yeah. sessions in. 
Now, like you said, if you're only running five or six sessions and you've gone and created the entire continent and put down all of these locations of stuff that there is that people can do, unless your unless your adventure idea was, you know, you were doing a uh, a sandbox game. I was going to mention the Pathfinder one, but I blanked on the oh Kingmaker. Unless that was your yeah, intention yeah. right from the start, why why did you go to all that effort? You didn't need it. You, you need it? the key locations, and you need the key characters. And then maybe you have one of those, you know, those backup sheets of NPC. So when they go and talk to someone that you had created, you have at least a name. Um, but you don't need more than that. They, you know, if the players might go slightly off where you're expecting to, but again, it's not that likely. I think actually, if if players go off your off the route that you had planned for and that you assumed that they would take, you have enough flexibility. Again, I mean, using just like a like a, a you know D and D style fantasy game that that you know story arc that takes place over like in a small region, like the Mines of Fandelver in the 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 five E starter box, I think is a perfect yeah, example so of this. It's going to take more than one session. Yeah. There's movement on a yeah. map, um, and because you have some some space, some geographical space, if the characters go west when you had intended for them or hoped for them to go east, what well, west is now east. You know, you have wiggle room to flip that, and they'll never know the difference. If you think that this, or you hope that your adventure could turn into a campaign, and creating all kinds of world material is of interest to you terrific there's nothing wrong obviously with doing that but i i think to be disciplined limited and judicious as to how much of this you dump on your players because you know if you if, if you pour a thousand rice grains on them and you expect them to find the one <laughs> that you want them yeah. to focus on it's like yeah. you know this is this is a lot bigger than a one-off obviously but it's still limited in in scope yeah, I mean, uh, so I think yeah. that, yeah, world indicate that there is an outside world, give some kind of contextualizing explanation as to where this is taking place. Um, and I also think that one of the big differences is that, you know, one off to a, to an adventure is that there's there could well be more motion. Yeah. You could you have different set piece places where different things can happen because you've just got more time in which to make it happen. Yeah, I think the, the time's the key thing. The whole point of the one shot was that it has to finish at a certain point of, of time and therefore it is going to be relatively railroady. Whereas in an adventure where, okay, right, well, I know kind of this is where it wants to end and this is where it's going to start, but in the middle is a whole bunch of different locations and people they could go and talk to and they might miss some of those. So be prepared that you're going to create stuff that won't get seen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the players will, they might go and do their own thing to some extent, but you're still only going to give them limited information. So they are probably going to, you know, end up where you want them to eventually. And if it's that's, if that's quicker because they've skipped stuff, that'll be fine. Um, and if they go all around the houses and eventually, you know, you, you're giving them the information you need to, to get to the end point. Um, but you're doing more than that. So it feels like it's a living world, but without, you know, so it doesn't feel railroady. But also, you're not giving mm -hmm. them so much information that they just get lost. Um, yeah, you know, if we stick to our theme park analogy, we say, you know, it would it would be one area. It's your it's your sci-fi land or your fat, you know, your frontier land. And there's a couple of different rides there they can go on and enjoy, um, but they they're not going to go out of that. And they might get distracted and sit in a you know the cafe for ages and not really do anything. But you know, they're going to eventually they will get on the ride you want them to and, and get to the end point. That's I think something else too, and this is this is I think there's a reciprocal relationship here between player and GM uh, when it comes to you know how much how much player backstory or player call it player identity is there upon the launch of the the story. I think with a one off, you need a personality trait or two, yeah, just something to guide a, a player's actions through their character and whether you provide them or the players determine them that I, that's that's obviously a personal preference thing i think with a one-off the the it's essential to have pre-built pre-decided connections between the characters yeah and then why is this team there wherever there is i think with an adventure you could have a little more a little more backstory but i think the the main backstory the primary focus in the backstory of the characters and the party is how do they connect to the story yeah. not so much the world 
because in an adventure, the focus, I think, is way more on the story than the world itself. I mean, you would never just focus on the world, the setting for the sake of the setting, like it's some kind of journey into the expository. You know, you, you're not there for that reason, but but an adventure is still like it has a it has a I think you have a clearly uh, determined plot. You have like a beginning, middle, and end if you want to do like a three part plot. And so the the as you work your players through group character generation or however you do it, I think the focus and the reminder from the GM is to to prod the players to connect their characters to that story to be and less when I was a lad, my father was a blacksmith. I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It's all that's interesting, but it doesn't matter in this. Um, now, when I think of adventures modules from back in the olden days, you know, you're right. You, you made a character and you played a module and usually it, it spans several levels for D&D. And then you had that decision at the end, like, well, do we get another module that picks up level wise where this one leaves off and we keep the same characters and we come up with some reason why we've moved from this episode to another? Like if you were to play, I don't know, keep on the borderlands and then move to something that was a couple levels higher because the characters yeah. have, have advanced, like that's still in a way like Star Trek, it's still episodic. Yeah. You have to, you as a GM have to find some way to, to bridge between those two totally separate stories. And when I think of playing an adventure nowadays, you know, I, my, my, in the back of my mind is, am I going to, do I think I'm going to string this adventure into another, into another, and maybe this will become a campaign or is my intention just to run a, an adventure or a few adventures that I string along episodically, the characters grow and the character like mechanically and the characters develop within the story as a, as a group, but I'm still basically just running a sequence of separate stories. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that then is different from a campaign because there's other things that we'll talk about in a campaign that you can do, which you can't do in this because it, it literally is adventure one and adventure two and adventure three. And really the only thing that are linking those I was going to say would be the, the world they're setting and the characters, but actually that's not true. You could just take adventures from different worlds and just go, yeah, just shoehorn it in. Um, and then with that yep. case, you kind of, like you said, the world is not important. It's the, the reason for the, that adventure happening. And so the, really that's all the important. All that strings those together is it's the characters. The characters are stringing everything yep. together. So then, it, you know, the fact that actually the characters are interested in the players like their characters is good and for that kind of thing what you really want is sort of interplay between the the party if the characters aren't bouncing off each other then you've not really got a lot of reason to sort of you know carry on other than the you know the players just like yeah if the players like their characters they'll want to keep doing that but that's the only thing that's going to keep you going yeah you're not going to carry on going because of the awesome world you're playing in because it's more likely that we've done one adventure and now you go into another one I think that's more of an issue on pre-bought adventures. I think of a, the GM's making your own, like maybe the first one was intended to be a one-off, not a one-off, was just one adventure. And then the players say, no, I want to do another adventure. Maybe you're at that point you start thinking, right, well, this could go longer term. So we'll start putting some things in we'd expect to see in a campaign maybe at that point. Like what I'm doing right now with Octone Cthulhu is I'm, I'm going to run all of the published adventures. Right. But I probably won't run the one that takes place in the U.S., I might, I might not, but my, my goal is to run the, the next two, the operation falling crystal. And then, um, the one that takes place in Romania. And then my, my plan is to sunset this and move either back to Star Trek adventures or to something else. Uh, and so I think what I'm doing right now, and I think if you're interested in playing Octo and Cthulhu, you can easily do this with Modiphius's published adventures, yeah. is you're running a series of episodes. It's almost like a, like a TV series, and you're running a season of it. And you're right, the thing that ties, aside from like the, de the definition of the setting, the, high, the bright spots of the setting, World War II and mythos stuff, yeah. aside from that, the, the, the commonality is the characters. And the connection between and the development of the characters and the development of the group, they just that's what carries it to the next um the next story in this um 
you know, you call it each of these yeah. is an adventure. I guess you could say that I'm running like a limited campaign. But what I've noticed with this, and this is where we can we can transition over to talking about campaigns, which I think in some ways are are far more complicated than these first two. The longer you spend with one set of characters, I think the more there's an expectation that that the world beneath their feet will will develop or they will learn more and affect more um, in it. That they won't just... I, I think that if you were to run Star Trek, for example, as just purely episodically, place to place to place in your starship, problem to problem to problem in your starship, I think that would actually get stale after a while. There's got to be something... Eh, but but think about this. Even in... Now, now, original series didn't really do this, but Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all had meta plots yeah. that sat outside of what was going on in that ship at that moment. Yeah, that's, that, that's why I was laughing, because oh. the original series did just... Yeah. Next Generation... I mean, kind of took a while. I remember at one point they started building to this idea that there was sort of something yeah. rotten in Star Trek Command and then just got rid of that altogether and then kind of went off into other things. Yeah, Deep Space yeah. Nine was totally different. I mean, Deep Space Nine, other than the first few series, really went into there being a massive plot and everything going, and every episode was important. Um, yeah, when I ran Infinity, the, bu the book I ran, you know, it, was like, it, it literally was intended as a, you're going to go and see each of the planets. And so actually, even the order didn't matter. We, I literally just picked one based on like, okay, I'll do this one. And then I went, oh, let's do a different one. So there wasn't even, like, there was no order to it. I literally just picked adventures mm -hmm. out of the book. And we ran each of those adventures. And so, you know, like, there wasn't even like an intro one and like a big final one. It was, you know, we played sort of six or seven of the adventures that were in that book. And we had a good time. But it did mean that, the, you know, it was all on the characters. There was no, there was no, guy in the background pulling the strings or anything like that and trying to have made out that there had been would have been really difficult I, I think that's one of the hallmarks of the campaign from the gm's perspective is the expectation that the the players are going to take more creative agency and initiative to not only react to the plot that you throw at them and the, the setting and the npcs and all that stuff but that they will take a more uh a more active role in adding to it and shaping it. I think that, you know, if, if role-playing games are, you want to sound like fluffy in this, call them like collaborative storytelling exercises, the balance of storytelling responsibility grows as you move from one-off to adventure to campaign. Yeah. If you dream as a player of, oh, I want to be in this long campaign and I want my character to grow and I want my character to, like grow roots in the world and, you know, like a pen dragon type thing. And like it's going to be multi-generational or like Kingmaker, you know, my, my character is going to become a, a duke or a king or something like that. And you as a player have to accept a far greater responsibility for playing your character consistently and contributing in a way that helps grow the story as a whole instead of just being like okay gm throw stuff at me so i can get experience yeah i mean the players definitely have to be more involved even in terms of like yeah. picking npcs to interact with right we're going to make a friend of this mp this npc is going to be our ally we're going to make a conscious effort to take more of an interest in the, you know we're actually going to engage ourselves in the world we're not just going to wait for the gm to you know the classic i have when i sit down with certain people and i get right go on what's happening or what do i do and they want yes. to they want to be, they want to react they want to be given a thing to do and then they can react to that um you know in a campaign i mean maybe it could start off with the gm start but at some point you know it, ideally it would move more towards you know players have got options and that would be i think the massive difference between adventures where you know, an adventure, you think, right, I've got an end point for this adventure and there's a different couple of different things can happen, but that's my end point for that adventure. In a campaign, it might not be that at all. You yeah. could literally just write, this is a world. You give the players a world, you give them different things and they're going to choose, we're going to focus on plot point A. Well, they ignore that and they follow plot point B. So giving them, you know, there's a lot more there for the GM to do. Yes. But the players are going to have to choose to engage with that. The players are going to have to choose. This is what we want to do. These are the people we're interested in. Um, so, like you said, there's way more. There has to be more player buy, and otherwise, you are just doing and, and a it's, bunch it's of not just um, okay. I'll actively choose where to go so you, Mister GM, can throw stuff at me. Yeah, the, the players have to shoulder a greater burden, 
and of of being a part of that storytelling. And I think also that, and you just alluded to this, I think, in okay, your your players are going to choose to make a friend or make an ally out of this NPC. Your players also have to accept to a far greater degree in a campaign the consequences of their actions long term. Yep. And you as GM also it, there's a much greater responsibility and it's harder. It's much harder work to track those kinds of things to make the story more fulfilling. Like in a one-off, none of the NPCs are going to come back. <laughs> no. So if you piss off someone or you shoot someone's brother or something like that, you know, you're going to feel it right away. In an adventure that's only a few sessions, two or three sessions, maybe four, the time horizon is so much shorter that it's easier for the GM to remember. And because typically the, the, the moving parts, there are fewer moving parts and variables. In a campaign, the longer you run it, they just compound and they build up and they grow against it's like putting like when you put crap in your garage and you let it sit there for a while like the stuff mates while you're not looking and you go back and you're like why are there three more boxes <laughs> that's what happens over time in a campaign and you as gm have to be ready to shoulder the burden of taking notes and making sure that oh yeah you know he, here's this npc who they pissed off i'm gonna have him come back five sessions later and he's better now and he has friends and he's torqued and he's going to come after you um so that that storytelling prep i think is there's a greater burden for the gm but there's also a, a much bigger opportunity for some really rich storytelling yeah i think it depends a lot more on the, the gm than to kind of think how much am i going i think in a one shot there are things you have to do and in an adventure again there are things you have to do in a campaign it's a bit more complicated than that because you could go from the view of that i'm going to create a living breathing world and then there will be things that are going to happen and things that are happening and the players can choose. And maybe you do it from a very top level view, like literally the opposite, the one shot. You're just going to go, this is this is the world and the players will choose. And I'm going to have to wing it to some extent. Like the ultimate because, sandbox. Yeah, because you can't control every, you can't have decided everything. You know, like if you're using a pre-written campaign book, which has been written by five people in it, and it took them a year and those were professionals, even then that stuff lacks the detail you need to do that so you're going to always have to go right i'm going to have i know i'm going to have to wing it i'm going to have to have a list of npcs that they might talk to with personality traits i'm going to have some pre-written encounters that i'm going to throw and maybe i'll have like big set pieces that i've created but i'm not going to you know i'm not going to plot out adventures i know that if the players go and talk to this guy that'll lead them on to talk to this other bloke that might lead on to this other thing but that they might that could never none of that could happen it could all be something completely different yeah. they could do i mean i remember playing a poor guy that's why brian doesn't brian and scott don't run adventures but i remember like brian running a dark sun campaign so this is back in second edition when dark sun had come out and he had like all of the dark sun stuff and i'm pretty sure he had some kind of long adventure campaigny thing planned um me and scott just decided yeah we were just going to do an uprising these dragon kings where they were not nice people um, and we were pretty well spec to just kill whoever we felt like. So yeah, we weren't doing whatever. I can't remember. I don't know what we were meant to do, but I know what we did do. We just went around killing the people we thought weren't very nice, uh, and trying to get the slaves to uprise and overthrow them because that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Um, I have no idea what we were meant to be doing. And that's the kind of thing that can happen in a campaign, in which case as the GM, you have to accept that your players are not you know if you if you've decided right and you say at the time you know it's one of the things talk to your players if you're going to say to players right guys i've got this relatively you know we've got this adventure it's a bit prescriptive after that we can see where we go then say that to him if it's like right you are in an open world you know it's the difference in a in a computer game nowadays between an open world where there will be a main story but you can go and do anything you want uh, and something which is you know very very prescriptive like you're going to go through these columns essentially and they might look like there's other stuff but you're just going to follow this path um again in a campaign players can go they can go anywhere they want really that's meant to be the fun of a campaign mm. which is i still think though that that a, a pure sandbox much like anarchy is not real <laughs> like it yeah. actually doesn't you you need something there needs to be some kind of a plot or hook that draws the players to act and to and to to sustain action for some desired end. So, no, 
Now, a sandbox could be, you know, you could pr you could put them in a world where they can go where they wish, taking into account that they're going to have to live with the consequences of their actions, do as they wish. There still needs to be some kind of a hook that draws them in. Like, you can't just say, okay, we're going to play this open-ended D&D campaign. We're all going to start at, you're going to start at level one, and we're going to go, I commit to level 20. Uh, and, <laughs> and, yeah, and um, I've had that, and it's horrific. But um, it's aspirational, but it's such a burden for a GM. So we're going to commit to making it to level 20. And then you just sit back as GM and say, well, it's morning. What are you doing? Like, you can't do that. You have to. There always has to be a plot. There has to be something to draw them in, to push them to action or to pull them to action, not just to act, but to to, to act in pursuit of some yeah. some goal. Uh, you, you need that. Um, I, I think thing, in a, I was going to say, that, I think in a fully sandboxy world, the only place you really do it would be the kind of, you know, your, your Mad Max fallout style thing where it's a desolate wasteland. But even then, the whole point is you will go to a place and there will be someone there. I mean, a computer game, they'd have an exclamation mark over their head, but you would go somewhere and someone will, I need help. My village is being attacked by straight, you know, the players then have a very simple, it's a binary choice. Yes, you help. No, you don't. Or third choice, we kill the guy and take all this stuff but even then that's what you're going to do isn't it even in a even in a relatively open like you said it's not going to be fully open-ended it will be an illusion of being open-ended you will well, give the players the hints of things they can do they could decide to just rob the bank but yeah but even like the, the second mad max movie road warrior it that starts in media res yeah he's roaring down the road and he comes across a the site of a of a of a recently passed fight and then there's foreshadowing in that uh with the the gas rig that's another thing also i want to throw in about campaigns and this is this is hard this is one of the things that actually makes planning for a campaign difficult is you have to you as gm you have to be able to plug in to make the campaign really good that is you've got to work foreshadowing so you can't just, I mean, I guess you could run a series of adventures and just string yeah. them together. And by virtue of it being the same group of characters, say, there's our campaign. And if everybody's happy with it, that's wonderful. But if you want to have a campaign that actually is a, a single story that builds and evolves over time, the one of the biggest challenges, obviously, the note keeping and, and the, you know, note taking and note keeping and then utilizing those things, but also foreshadowing. So that you're not just throwing stuff at players and oh, where the hell did this come from? You know, when, yeah. like like Max says, you know, he goes, I, you know, three days ago I saw a rig that could haul that that tank. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Like one of his eleven lines in the movie, and like that was a piece of visual foreshadowing that then worked. <laughs> if that hadn't been there, it would have been kind of lame for him to say, "Oh yeah, I saw his truck out there," and, and you, us the viewers are like, "Yeah, okay, that was Deus Ex Machina right there." Yeah, I think like. Like I said, an example, I mean, the, the one I kept using for last year, again, this is a pre-written one, but it's the difference between a limited campaign and a bunch of adventures. Like I said, when I played Infinity, those adventures had nothing to do with each other. It's kind of the same as the ones in the Star Trek or the Conan ones. They're a bunch of separate adventures. They can be done in any order. You can miss one. It doesn't matter. Right. The only thing linking them is the characters. And when I played the Expanse thing, it was designed as a limited campaign. It's got like seven adventures long. And when you do maybe adventure one, two, and three, the players are thinking these are completely unconnected adventures. But maybe when they get onto Adventure 4, they go, oh, wait a minute, wait, this is a guy we met previously. Yeah. Or, oh, wait a minute, this guy, you know, you do something on a computer and it says, this business is owned by the... Wait a minute, that actually, that's the business that we worked mm -hmm. for in the first one. And so, you know, someone else go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, and actually, that's the same plan. And then people start, oh, the, these little things have been dropped all the way through. Now, again, in some ways, that's easier when you do kind of these, it's an adventure that links and you've planned it ahead of time. Do it in a campaign. But again, it's a similar thing. You would, you drop these things in or you plan to reuse characters. The players don't yeah. need to know that character is going to come back. The player doesn't need to know, you know, that player links to this, you know, this NPC links to the, the big bad guy that you've got planned. Um, and again, it's like I said earlier, you can do the illusion of it by dropping a bunch of things in and the players think it's all unrelated and it's only five sessions in they realize that every single thing they've been working on week after week which all seem totally unrelated all linked to the same bad guy um i guess the thing you have to decide then is it, you know is the thing that links everything together in your campaign 
going to be the thing that you get to at like your level 20 or your D&D or actually is this going to happen at level six and then you finish that kind of that arc of the campaign and then you're going to carry on but now it's a you know it's a, it's a different arc because can you really string something out for two years of playing something i don't know i mean i, I think you just made me think of something with the whole idea of the, the foreshadowing um and how you use that or how you come up with that you know you you could, if you're really that good of a storyteller and story planner, you could come up with all these things and deliberately drop these in. Another way to do that is to pay attention as the players are doing their thing, what interests them? Yeah. What NPCs do they get? Do they like, or do they really get annoyed by? Those are the, <laughs> you, you find ways to leverage those later as, you know, a, a, to create foreshadowing. Um, the one thing though, that I'll, I'll, I'll comment on this. I think probably my last like major piece on campaigns is that many times when I have played in campaigns, it's been, uh, it's been fantasy and it's been somebody's homebrew world. And this is where I think the, the GM or the GM as frustrated author, <laughs> the, the GM has to have some self-discipline because it campaigns again the, the 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 sharing of the storytelling responsibility and the storytelling leverage and opportunity opportunity is much greater in a campaign but what i've seen many times is a gm spends so much time and they write this love letter to themselves in the form of their homebrew world and it could be really really great but the problem is they have to let go of enough of that to enable the players to have agency so that they feel like they're part of it too. Yeah. Because if you run a campaign like you'd run a one-off, unless you have a, a bunch of players who just who, who want to be railroaded, that's not going to work over, over a long period of time. So the GM, if you've put in a lot of planning, you have to be willing to bend enough with that. And especially if it's your homebrew world, you can't be so in love with it that you you force the players to do things that they're not happy with because you say, well, that's the way the world is. Because then what do you need yeah. players for? Yeah, I was, just, I, was th I was just thinking, it's kind of an awkward thing you've got in, these, in a campaign where it's easy to make players like find an NPC they really like and they want to protect. You know, one of them wants to marry them or whatever else. But in these kind of long things, you know, if you look at, you know, films or literature or TV or whatever, you always have those characters that you love yeah. to hate, you know, like the Joffreys from Game of Thrones like or the, the guy from The Expanse whose name I can't remember. Marco Anara. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Who always... Who, oh, oh so I know. Much. I was like, I, I used to... I used to, oh, my, my wife would be like, you're, you're really kind of getting a little too intense here because I talk about all the ways oh, I wanted man. to see him killed. Yeah. Um, but trying to introduce a character like that into a campaign is yep. tricky because... I mean, you can just cheat by basically making him so that if the players try and go after him at a low level, they just, they just get their asses kicked and they have to be a higher level to do it. Or you have to have him surrounded by so many guards or whatever, or laws or whatever reasons. But it's the kind of thing, if you actually make that character so irritating and so upsetting, you need to have a way of having him yes. survive, which is where it's handy. If you're playing like a more pulp thing where you can just have, oh yeah, you totally killed him, but he falls yeah, off a he cliff. He gets away. <laughs> There's a big explosion. You don't see his body. And, you know, so that kind of thing you'd have to bear in mind, you know, trying to, trying to develop a nemesis, I think is very hard. Developing a character that's like people love is, is easy, but developing a nemesis, if you can pull that off, yeah. that's amazing. But how do you make sure that nemesis sort of keeps surviving? Um, because if you like, you know, using the expanse as an example, the players basically come across Marco Naros twice in the whole thing. And one of those is really an NPC that encounters him and they let him live. Uh, and then, you know, one of the players comes across him in a position where they're basically a prisoner. Yeah. They have no agency. They can't do anything. They are there just to provide more scene time that Marco Naros is an a-hole and deserves to die. But actually, you know, the players never get to get him. Just so upset. But see, that, that that's, therein possibly lies your solution. Uh, the this nemesis is something that is a force that is causing problems that the player that the characters are trying to deal with but is could be physically distant inaccessible yeah. or maybe unknown like you, you could start off with 
this nemesis is unknown. There is some source of problems, but we're not really sure. Then you identify what is this source of problems, but this, this source is far away and insulated. And so as your, your characters grow in knowledge and in power and reach, then, you know, maybe then they can reach out and touch this, this, uh, this character. But, yeah. um, but yeah, if you can, if you can have a cool nemesis that really like pisses off and fires up your players, not their characters, you, you have scored a victory. <laughs> like if they're like, if they're grinding their teeth over this and not out of being annoyed, like I want to get him. That's a, that's a good thing. And you can't, you know what? And let me, let me say this real quick. I, I don't, yeah. you can't do that. You can't reach your players emotionally like that in a one-off. Not really. No. Uh, no. You can shock them and you can tell them, oh, this guy's really terrible. Um, you can do that a little bit more in an adventure, but the only way you're going to have that emotional payoff, you can only reach that in a campaign. You have to have that thing. The character has to keep coming back. That's like I said earlier. So I'm, I'm going to quite enjoy messing with Strad because Strad can turn yeah. up, but like they've met him once, but he he didn't mm -hmm. hurt them. He wanted something for them, and they didn't want to give it to him, but he didn't hurt them. He could have just wiped the floor with them, but he didn't. Um, and next time I meet him, he will again be quite reasonable and quite a nice guy. And then maybe I'll turn it up over the time into like you meant to, to the him being, you know, actually genuinely scary until they realize. Because at the moment, it's kind of people saying bad things about him and he's like i'm a really nice guy and i want i'm hoping to get them to that point where they're thinking he's all right or why is there why is everyone complaining about this? and they just you, switch. you you do that but then you you you're able to communicate through his actions that this is a guy who like you are you aren't even like fly crap in his eyes you are not <laughs> even you're like not even hamster turd by his his estimation and and that's got a rub against players and characters like well, you 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 think i'm nothing no i don't even think you're nothing you know you're you you're less than nothing you know you you are what is it uh yeah you're just and that that, that just not even contempt like just dismissiveness that'll piss off players and characters <laughs> over time um well let, let's do this is there anything else i mean like short scope of a one-off limited world um, high player in the moment agency, very low demand and space for complicated, boring uh, player backstories. Anything else for a one-off that I think is that you think is important for a GM, or do you think we hit it? No, I think I think we covered okay. the one-off pretty well. Uh, what about adventures? When you you need more of a conversation with the players to both ask them what they're expecting, but also make it clearer to the players. You know, this this isn't. This isn't a one-off. We can carry on with this, but you know there there is limited yeah. scope here. You know, there, there, I, I haven't played around. You know, I haven't included loads of your backstory. Um, we're not going to see loads of the world. There's going to be some cool things that are going to happen. There's a you know there's an interesting story, but there's an end point. You know, make it clear. So what what we do after that end point, we'll we'll decide at the time. Um, and I think that's the main difference with the campaign. The campaign has to from the start kind of have the view of right. We don't have an end point, or if we do have an end point, the end point is so far down so the road. Big, potentially. That, yeah, we can consider it having no end point. Um, I mean, the, the kind of things you have to consider before a campaign, you could do, we could do multiple episodes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's books full of it. Actually, to be fair, a lot of the time there isn't. There's, you find that you look in one of these things with the GM advice, and there might be GM advice on how to run a session. But then actually there may be very little advice on how to do an adventure. When it comes to running a campaign, again, the advice gets even worse. Or it's not, I mean, like we said, one of my issues with the 2D20 things is that there's the kind of there, there's a there's GM advice on sort of running an encounter or a session is okay. And the minute it starts going up beyond that, yeah. it's very, very lacking. Well, you know um, what though, I... You know, there's so many other books with loads of stuff, it's okay. I played in one and I have GM two, like real live campaigns. I GM'd a Vampire the Masquerade campaign back in the 90s that lasted like six, seven months. Oh, it was, no, it was great. It was great because we didn't know any better. We wore a lot of flannel back then. And we just didn't know any better. Um, I played in a Cyberpunk 2020 campaign at the same time as that for about six, seven That's months. That's how you coped. Huh? 
that's how you coped with running the GF, the vampire game because you were playing in a yeah, cyberpunk that, game. I think that is how I coped. And actually <laughs> having that like that back and forth, like I was I was exercising my creativity in two ways. And then I ran a Kingmaker campaign that all, all told was like 14 or 15 months. And it was amazing. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. But I've I've settled now because of life uh, that I would rather do a series of adventures with an end and move to something else rather than the open-ended campaign. Like if everyone's sitting around the table and we all look at each other and be like, well, we've been playing this for like two or three months and we don't want to stop. Well, great. That's terrific. But the idea of committing yeah. to that on the front end, there are just too many, there are too many interesting settings. There are too many interesting games. There's no yeah. reason to like, there's no reason to, to, to anchor yourself to, to something. Um, and I mean, and, and honestly, campaigns are the, the long-term planning is really, really hard to do it well yeah i was saying the, the only time i've really run a very long-term campaign with no end point was was when i was still at yeah. school because i could yeah and i didn't have loads of stuff and i think it sort of started in forgotten realms and then it it went into ravenloft because i had the ravenloft stuff and then it went into a another world entirely and then it probably came back to Forgotten realms i don't remember and like, other characters joined and left yeah. and um but that again there wasn't any that was more like a series of unconnected adventures than anything else. It was like we were just hopping wherever. I've never pl I've never planned out a campaign yeah. because I just never really had the inclination. Normally, because I get bored. Yeah. So I know there is no there is no point in me planning a twenty session campaign because I know that I will I'd probably be bored before that. I'll plan it. I'll enjoy the planning of it. And then three sessions in, I'll be like, nah, or, or the players will throw things. <laughs> if you have good players, the players will throw things at you that will lead you to reassess the way you wanted it to go because you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's a really wonderful idea. And so yeah. then maybe some of your planning you could repurpose or put aside, or maybe some of it you just junk. So that's where, yeah, I, I one-offs are terrific for introducing people to systems, filling a gap when you're down a player or playing at a convention for me. I'm more of an like extended yeah. adventure, like multi-session, call it like a mini campaign, a limited campaign, a series of adventures. That's 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 my thing nowadays. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing at the moment. I just is using pre-written stuff. So like Strad is probably gonna be the longest thing we've run in in yeah. quite a while because you know, the expanse went seven sessions. Strad's gonna go longer oh, yeah. than that. But when we finish that. I don't know. I guess it depends on like what level we finish out and what we feel like doing. Do we want to carry on the same characters? We're kind of like, I feel like if they've taken their characters from level three to like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, at that point, they're like, Ugh, I want something different. Yeah. I don't know. We'll wait and see. All right. Well, good deal. I think, I think we've got some good stuff here. I'm totally stealing your roller coaster. That is, that's beautiful for the description. Honestly, that's, that's a perfect description <laughs> of what a one-off should be. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then uh, we'll we'll follow up with a two die twenty focused episode in our next drop. Thanks again for listening. And in our next episode, we are going to talk about something two die twenty focused. Chris and I are going to talk about our wish list for what we would like to see in a more conventional fantasy magic setting based in two die twenty in terms of uh, rules, content, and products. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.